Hi, this is Charlie O'Shields, and for today's episode, I wanted to give you a little bit of background on myself for those of you who don't follow my blog at doodlewash.com. Because he is interesting. My little family consists of my partner, Philippe, who was born and raised in Paris, and a little surly but sweet Basenji dog named Phineas, who was found roaming the rough streets of Topeka, Kansas. I don't think the dog even shows up in this episode, but always demands to be acknowledged. We live in the middle of the United States, in the middle of a city right next to a historic cemetery, which is actually quite lovely and not at all as creepy as it sounds. Spooky. For today's episode, we're going back in time to when I first started sketching and blogging on Doodle Wash, when I devoted an entire month to collecting bits of things that I referred to as my cabinet of curiosities. For those of you who don't know what this particular type of cabinet is, it was originally meant to describe an entire room and emerged in the 16th century. According to author Patrick Moriez, they were rooms of wonder, the astonishing creation of collectors who wished to gather together everything, all knowledge, animal, vegetable, or man-made, into a single, unimaginable space, an entire universe in miniature. Cool, huh? The unimaginable space, in my case, was simply a new miniature sketchbook. This was also the first month that I began to move away from the traditional landscapes and scenes I had been sketching and painting with watercolor. It was back when I first started, well, sketching stuff. It was also when I discovered that moving to an extra tiny sketchbook meant there was really no excuse left as to why I couldn't show up to paint each and every day. As it turns out, even the tiniest of sketchbooks can house tremendous memories. Welcome to Sketching Stuff, a collection of stories sketched from life. Magic Lantern. I've always been fascinated with vintage cameras and other image-producing objects. This little doodle wash is of something called a magic lantern, which was an early type of image projector that used pictures on sheets of glass and either sunlight, candles, or oil lamps to project light. His vision was limited only by technology. It was developed in the 17th century and commonly used for educational and entertainment purposes. Today, it sits in a box downstairs As I managed to acquire one on eBay a few years back, I was so excited that I neglected to realize the obvious, that nobody needs a magic lantern in the 21st century, and this was a ridiculous waste of money. I think it's awful the way Mother lets them waste money. But it looked so cool. Modern objects just don't have the class and attention to detail, choosing cheap over charming most of the time. When I was in grade school, I was deemed to be rather smart and therefore enrolled in an independent study course. What this meant was that twice a year, I could choose any subject I wanted to explore in more depth and detail. I think I can keep him interested for a couple of hours. One of my independent study subjects was animation, and I was so excited to get started. I first tried drawing on individuals' film cells with a marker, but quickly lost interest. After about five cells, I'd only managed to produce a stick figure that appeared to be squatting to relieve himself. Yes, that's what I thought. This was not satisfying and simply wouldn't do for my directorial debut, so I immediately began looking for other options. I discovered that the school actually had a video camera, so the notion of doing a stop-motion animation was born. 
This was many, many years ago, so the camera was the size of a small suitcase and weighed more than I did at the time. I'd like to show you one of the world's great cameras. I wasn't daunted because every stop-motion director worth the grain of salt knew that a tripod was required for absolute precision. My main character was an egg-shaped ball of white fur, appropriately named Fluffy, and he had just two large googly eyes, dowel rods for legs, and light blue shoes borrowed from Mr. Potato Head. It was just as I was beginning my epic shoot that I realized the script also required arms, so a couple pipe cleaners were jammed into the side seams. That's a good idea. Fluffy's story was a bit weird because in my enthusiasm, I pre-made all of the props out of the first cool thing I saw. I saw a stack of note cards shaped like various musical instruments. So we began the story in a music shop, obviously, and Fluffy went around trying each of the instruments one by one. Perhaps it was his last-minute pipe cleaner arms or his googly-eyed lack of depth perception, but he systematically breaks every instrument he attempts to play. After fleeing the shop, we hear a foreboding voiceover from a police radio calling in the crime to dispatch. Okay, so I played the part of the police officer and my voice was anything but foreboding then, or even now for that matter. But you get the point. It was bad. Real bad for Fluffy. Uh, don't look so worried. It's going to be all right. As sirens wailed, Fluffy did the only thing he could think to do, rush back into the scene of the crime and attempt to repair all of the destroyed instruments. Through the magic of stop motion, he was able to put everything back like he found it and escape before the authorities arrived. Where is he now? I was then asked to play this masterpiece of cinema for each of the other classes during a day-long premiere in the library. Apparently, teaching kids it's okay to commit a crime as long as you get away with it was a lesson worth skipping regular class for. Although I would end up working on a movie later in life, I never fully realized my childhood dreams. Perhaps that's why I bought an expensive antique magic lantern. It reminds me of a time when I used to dream big and was never daunted by the idea that I couldn't do something. It's funny how as adults we always question ourselves, and yet as kids we always assumed anything was possible. Sometimes I wish I could go back to that time. A time when a white ball of fur named Fluffy could be the next big movie star. And I actually believed in magic. Calling Mom. My dad liked to collect things, well, sort of acquire things he suddenly took a fancy to. Inventions and innovation. This old phone was one of those things, and it ended up following me around from house to house for many years before finally disappearing. I always liked this old phone. It looks like it has a face, but never had a place to display it, nor knew how to hang it properly. So it just sat on the floor, laying against various walls in various houses. This doodle wash is an ode to that old phone, and since I now rarely use the phone app on my smartphone, preferring to text, this always reminds me of nearly the only person I talk to on the telephone, my mother. Mother may have other opinions of what looks best, but of course, mother has old-fashioned ideas. My mother lives in Texas now, and we only see each other a couple times a year. 
Neither of us are particularly good about using a telephone, so it's not uncommon to go weeks without talking to each other. Our running joke is that whoever finally decides to break the silence and actually calls says, Hi, it's me. I'm returning your call. Not sure why I wouldn't call more, because conversations with my mother are always entertaining as I'm never sure what will pop out of her mouth. You're likely to hear bits of wisdom like, It's kind of like a porno. People say there's a story to it, but there's no story to it. Or, I'm kind of glad I grew up in the 50s. We didn't have to wear slingshots for underwear in the 50s. Or, well, apparently having sex with a dead woman is only a misdemeanor. Makes you wonder what the world's coming to. I remember when I was talking to her about first meeting Philippe, I was excited to be traveling to Paris to spend time with him for a few weeks, but worried that my ability to speak Spanish was not going to be very helpful there. I was visiting my mother for Christmas and had just ordered a new in-depth French language course. This was the conversation. Me. So I'm trying to learn some French before I visit Philippe in Paris. Mom, that's good. Have you seen those commercials for Rosetta Stone? Me, no, I don't have cable. Why? Mom, there's this one with a young 30-year-old man on there, and he says, now I can speak to my parents in Japanese. I was like, if your parents wanted you to speak to them in Japanese, why the hell didn't they teach you? This is the wonderful logic I grew up with, and I have to admit that it served me well in life. I really love hearing about the world through my mother's eyes and ears. You usually feel like you're starting in the middle of the story, but that's all part of the fun. The conversation will take a whiplash turn from a political tirade to the inexplicable discovery that their neighbor's cows were coming over and licking the siding on the house. I mean, what is wrong with those cows? Everyone has a different relationship with their families as well as with their phones, but I'm just fine with mine. Sometimes it's the things you do the least that you remember the most. And out of all the crazy things I've done in life, the most cherished memories will always be the simpler ones. Those rare times when I remember to press the phone app and found myself calling mom. Swatch. This is a doodle wash of my watch because I wasn't sure what to sketch, and while looking at the time, I was suddenly inspired. Hey, listen, I've got an idea. I guess someday I'll have drawn just about anything you can imagine and will seek more interesting subjects, but today I'm still quite easily amused. Philippe gave me this watch as a present on our first Christmas together. When we were in Paris earlier in that year, I was eyeing a watch like this while we were passing a swatch store. I had never really thought about owning a watch by this brand as I didn't think they made anything that wasn't the color of fruit. Later that year, I was thrilled when I received one from Philippe. It had exposed clockwork, which has always fascinated me. I'm not sure why, but the idea of that many tiny gears coming together to make something function amazes me. And it had the perfect band because I can only wear fabric or leather since my wrists are roughly the size of an eight-year-old girl's. And a girl? And not only does it have its clockwork showing, it actually is a completely mechanical watch, powered only by movement. On me, this means it always runs about five minutes fast. Also, each month you have to reset it in order to get the date to display properly. I'm too lazy to bother with this, so when anyone asks me the date on the street, they walk away roughly three days earlier. 
When I received this watch, for all I knew, this was going to be my only reminder of my time with Philippe. We were always running out of time back then. Being together was like looking at the ocean for the last time on a beach you visited for the first time. You make a silent wish that you'll be back, but in the end, you just never know for sure if that wish will come true. Today, with all the hours and minutes ticking away, it never feels like I can get everything done. But whenever I feel like I'm not accomplishing the things I want fast enough, I just look at this little reminder on my wrist and stop worrying. Things always work out, and there's no need to rush. I've got time. Yellow Macaw. Today's little doodle wash is of a blue and yellow macaw, and I primarily chose him because I noticed I was drawing too many brown things lately. Also, I've always loved parrots. There's something sort of awesome about an animal that can mimic human speech, and the blue and yellow macaw is one of the better talkers. Of course, if you share a home with one, you should really be careful what you say, as they're not very good at keeping secrets. I've always loved animals, and particularly birds. And once I wanted to become a bird watcher. This wasn't a constant passion, but something I became suddenly passionate about as a kid when I stumbled across a copy of Audubon magazine. I was shocked that more people my age hadn't thought to become a birder as it seemed like exciting and interesting work. It wasn't long before I realized the sheer amount of sitting and waiting involved, which was also the reason why most of my peers were over the age of 60. After sitting and staring at a tree for 30 minutes, waiting for something to appear so I could identify it, I got bored and started carving a bird out of a stick instead. I'd just gotten one of those Swiss Army pocket knives and wanted to test it out. It was classic red, and beyond its nice selection of knives and a pair of scissors, there was even a spoon and a fork. For those occasions when you're stranded and without food, but take comfort in knowing you could eat it properly if you weren't about to starve to death. My wooden stick bird was a disaster and looked more like a beaked snake that hadn't finished shedding its skin. Just 45 minutes into this adventure, I was ready to crawl out of mine. My dreams of birding had been crushed again by the deathly club of my attention deficit problems. Kids weren't medicated to be made normal back then, so I was left alone to grow up naturally unique. He was the star of the play. With apparently no ability to actually find an interesting bird, much less carve it out of a stick, I was at a loss for how to start this new hobby. At the time, I didn't realize that birding was something that also involved travel in order to experience more variety. I had just assumed since birds could fly anywhere once they knew I was watching for them, they would just fly over and say hello. No bird ever did. Not even a parrot. And they could have actually said it. So today, I'll happily merge my long-lost day-long hobby with my new one, and on the 8th of each month, you'll often find me doing a little birding here on Doodle Wash. With just a little bit of ink and some paint, I can make any bird I like appear now. It may not get me honored by the Audubon Society as the world's next great bird nerd, but it will let me fulfill my childhood dreams of finally coming face-to-face with a bright blue and yellow macaw.
neighborhood cat. I decided to doodle wash a cat for the first time today, and I was going to try a black one, but opted for a gray tabby I've seen around the neighborhood instead. I wasn't sure how to handle all of the hair and whiskers, so I just whisked some white gouache on in at the end. Growing up and all through adulthood, I've only ever had dogs. It wasn't until I was grown that I realized I had a mild allergy to cats, so this worked out well. I think cats are beautiful, but prefer the ones that are social and act more like dogs. The aloof cats confound me as they seem more like a pet prop rather than actual companions. The tabby doodle washed here roams the neighborhood and I've never seen where it lives and I'm only assuming it has a home, but it's hard to tell sometimes with cats. Maybe he's a spy. I remember visiting a couple a few years back, and when I sat down and they handed me a drink, their cat jumped on my lap. I screamed loudly, not because the appearance was so sudden, but because this particular cat was completely hairless and ancient. But what is this? They just smiled and said, that's our little baby, and I tried desperately to pass it off as simply a case of being startled while trying very hard to remove the look of disgust and horror from my face. That's right, Sam. Play it dumb. I learned that this cat was over 26 years old and that the lack of hair was on purpose. Apparently it was a sphinx and they had been giving better care to it than most children get. But seeing a bald cat for the first time is still a little disconcerting and takes some getting used to. As it turns out, even without hair, these cats are not hyperallergenic, so it was a relatively short evening. On a visit to another cat house, oh wait, house with cats in it, not the other kind, I was shocked once again to find this couple had trained their cat to use the toilet. Admittedly, this sounds awesome, as the smell of kitty litter in a house can usually be detected from the driveway by people like me who don't live with cats daily. But when you walk in on a cat doing his business on the toilet you were hoping to use, it's more than a little disturbing. Admittedly, I should have knocked, but they really should have thought to train Whiskers to lock the door behind him first. Well, it's not a secret anymore. I finally met my first dog-like cat soon after that, and I was immediately in love. The cat was a yellow tabby, and so ridiculously cute you immediately wanted to cuddle up next to it. And that's exactly what I wanted to do, so allergies be damned I did. And it was totally worth the itching and sneezing. This cat was my new best friend for the whole night. Though I don't think I'll ever own a cat, as I still prefer dogs and dislike sneezing, I find them fascinating creatures. There's sort of an ancient wisdom in their eyes and secrets they will probably never reveal to you, and that makes them pretty cool. There's such a range of types and personalities with cats that I'm sure there's always a cat for any non-allergic person to enjoy, even if they prefer to use your toilet over a litter box or are made entirely out of skin. Which admittedly, Still sort of creeps me out. And that's the end of another episode. I hope you've enjoyed my cabinet of curiosities, and I invite you all to grab the tiniest sketchbook you can find and make a daily personal journal of your own cherished memories. There are always wonderful and unexpected stories that those sketches will inspire. Thanks so much for listening to the Sketching Stuff podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, and new episodes will be added bi-weekly. Visit me at sketchingstuff.com to share your comments and stories.